The nail in the coffin! Episode number 65 of The Nail. Tom and Trav are back at it recording on Monday night. Trav, it's good to be back in the saddle after uh, Ty Lue sat us last week because he didn't want us going back to back. Yeah, we're about to enter the uh, we're about to enter the playoff stretch here, so you know we got to get our rest in. We do, and uh, our apologies to our good friends at ESPN and ABC and uh, all the uh, everybody else out there who might have been disappointed when we were out, but uh, we're back and. Uh, we will be talking plenty about the Cavs here shortly, but I figured uh, let's get into March Madness first. Uh, you know, last time we were on, it was the start of the conference tournament week and got through that. And now we've gotten through the first couple rounds of the big dance and uh, got to ask what, uh, what are your big takeaways from the weekend? Uh, the first round was a lot of chalk. There were some interesting games and it was entertaining enough, but not a whole lot of upsets, not a lot of action in the first round. Um, obviously the second round was, was a little bit different with uh, number one overall seed Villanova getting knocked off. Um, Duke got knocked off late last night. If you were sleeping, um, a lot more action from those, you know, those underdog types than we maybe expected. Um, what Louisville, I think, also lost. So I mean, it looks a lot different than I think we thought it was going to look after the first round. I think after the first round, it looked like one of those seasons where it was going to be a lot of the favorites getting through. Um, but luckily, the second round got a little more interesting, and that's uh, kind of been out the window now. You you neglected to mention the most uh, uh, inflammatory matchup of all of them this weekend, that being Uverse versus Raycom. Oh, yeah, that's a battle that still has not been settled. And I tell you what, uh, my wife and I were okay with it last week, but I can't DVR Jeopardy now. So we got problems. Yeah, so for those of you who are not Uverse subscribers, as of Thursday morning, Raycom Media, which owns Channel 19 here in Cleveland and some other CBS affiliates around the country, pulled the station off of the Uverse cable package. You know, we always hear about all these deals with um, contracts between uh, networks and um, cable companies kind of coming down to the wire, and they always threaten... They usually, like seem to get, they usually seem settled before it actually matters. Always. I mean, it always gets done at the last minute. And I didn't even know that this was like even coming up for um, renewal or, or negotiation or anything like that. So I, I saw something floating around on Thursday on Twitter, like while I was at work. And I was like, there's no fucking way that I'm going to go home on the first night of March Madness and not and have CBS on my cable package. And sure enough, it's not there and uh, it's still not there. And you're missing jeopardy. And um, I- I'm going to have to make somebody bleed over the fact that I'm still not getting the prices right uh, on my DVR. So I'm yeah, very upset by this. Like last week I was watching DVR jeopardy. I know I'm old man, um, <laughs> but they have like that ticker running on the bottom, you know, it says, Hey, if this doesn't get settled, you're going to lose CBS. And it's been running for like a week. But I'm to the point where, like, I've I've seen that a hundred times before, and the channel never goes away. So, so I kind of just took for granted, you know, they'll figure this shit out. I don't think it's a coincidence that that uh, that contract dropped on Thursday, though. I yeah, don't think so that's uh, I don't think that's just sort of the way things lined up. When I uh, put out my initial outrage to you over this, I texted you about it. You said didn't really matter, and and it sounded like how are you watching the games otherwise? I got a digital antenna. Oh, I mean, okay. Was that something yeah, you already just had? Pick up. You can pick CBS up over the air. It's it's like twenty bucks for an antenna, and I've had it. I was just, I just keep it around in case I ever need it. Um, I've had it for those times where you know I was between apartments or whatever the case was when I may not have cable hooked up yet or stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's easy to pick up nineteen. That's not the problem. The problem now is that I can't DVR stuff. Um, but it's also just wildly in- inconvenient. So beyond that, I mean, it's not a huge deal. I know most folks in the Cleveland area would be able to pick it up with an antenna, but honestly, it's 2017. Should we really need that? No, and I actually was able to watch the games at home and um, just through the uh, the Chromecast and watching it with the app on uh, that March Madness Honestly. Live app. Yeah. And 
you know, casting it. Weirdly enough, it would not let me do it on a Roku. It was it was blocked on Roku by Chromecast. It, I, I will never, as long as I live, understand how these rights deals work. But anyway, no, yeah. um, thankfully, I, w- I was able to watch on Saturday afternoon as Villanova went down uh, just before dinner time. There, um, I was really proud of myself for as little college basketball as I watched this year. I managed to go thirty out of thirty-two in the first round through the uh, the first couple nights there, and How'd I went you do to bed on. That? I, well, I, I went to bed feeling very proud of myself, and and I was two games clear of the pack in the office pool, and I know, you know, tell me about your bracket, how exciting that is. Hey, Boomer Esiason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I, in addition to getting 30 out of 32 right in the first round, I also had Villanova winning the entire thing, so... Um, as I tweeted out uh, around dinner time on Saturday, life comes at you in 16 hours and 44 minutes because it was that long for uh, the time I said, uh, hey, I'm, I'll take it from uh, what I came out of the first round with to the point where my bracket immolated um, was Villanova going down. Yeah, it was uh, isn't interesting. I honestly um, so I enter a, a pool that's like it's based on spreads more. You don't actually pick a bracket it's um it's kind of luck of the draw so it's but it it honestly makes the first round way more interesting than a bracket because you can't really get tied up with you know every game in the first round because one game is not going to make or break your bracket for the most part um (laughs) right i mean in the second (laughs) round that can change a little bit but um it was uncanny how close the spreads were mostly a lot of chalk won but um, right on the line. A lot of games are right there, and it's it's kind of crazy how that worked out. But the first, I mean, it's been somewhat entertaining. I think probably everyone got a kick out of Duke losing to South Carolina yesterday. Yes, let's get uh, back to that one in a minute, but go on. But no, that's it. I mean, it, it, the two rounds were sort of diametrically different. The first one kind of boring and not a whole lot of action. The second one, you know, a lot of big names going down. Why in God's name? was Wisconsin an eight seed. Like, I I mean, again, I'll admit, I did not watch the regular season closely, but just everything I read coming out of that game on Saturday, and maybe I'm just bitter um, about Villanova going down, but th- if you, like, look at Wisconsin's resume, and especially, like, in comparison to, I don't know, like, Minnesota, who got a five seed and went out in the first round. I, and Michigan I, State, who was an eight seed. Right, and, and you just... Okay, so I mean, even Michigan State, though, I mean, like they they got handled in the second round, and oh, yeah, I mean, I, I, they I'm they won their they, first round game like I'm they were supposed there was to. No and... way they should have been the same seat as, as right. Wisconsin. Okay, yeah, exactly. So I mean, they look like Michigan State looked like a, a prototypical eight, eight seed, eight. and that's right. fine. But like, you can't tell me that like the, the Wisconsin that was not a team playing like over its head. I mean, you could tell when it when a team's kind of just shooting out of its mind and. You know, things are just, everything's going their way. I mean, that that was like a legit performance. And they're going to be a real pain in the ass um, at, at the regional, at the Garden, this coming weekend. Uh, especially when you look at who else is left in that region. But um, that just... Yeah, that, that was one that people said that at the time, though. Everyone kind of realized this is one they're underseated. Right. Um, and at the time, most people looked at it like, well, Wisconsin got screwed. You know, they're an eight seed. They're going to have to... Um, they're going to play Villanova in the second round. It's like, well, that didn't really impact them so much. It was more like, well, Villanova, the defending champion, number one overall seed, is going to have to play Wisconsin in the second round. Um, so it's funny how that works out. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think that that's clearly the most egregious um, of the seeding ones because everyone said it at the time, and they've been proven correct. Yeah, and you mentioned Duke, and believe me, they're, they're – I, I take great delight in what happened to them last night. That was all sorts of fun to watch. That said, they got kind of screwed too because they're they're a two seed playing what was basically a de facto road game playing South Carolina in Greenville, South Carolina. So it was ninety minutes away from uh, South Carolina's campus, and um, you know, couple that with the fact that you also had North Carolina playing in the same building. And all their fans stuck around after the, the Tar Heel game was over. So then you get all of them cheering against Duke as well. And that was an extremely hostile environment for them. And I, I just, I 
can't fathom why. And believe me, nobody should be shedding any tears for Duke because how many years have they gotten what amounted to like two home games in the first round playing Cake games to, to in, in, yeah. in a tournament site in North Carolina, um, really close to their campus. I, oddly enough, that actually should have been the case this year because those games in Greenville were supposed to be, I think, in Greensboro, and they were one of the NCAA events that got moved uh-huh. because okay. of that uh, that that House Bill two. So, um, yeah, it. Uh, I, I just okay if you're going to move that down there and you're going to have Duke play there as the two seed because that's the closest. Uh, first and second round site to their campus. I just don't understand why if you, you, you had three other um, seven seed spots that you could have put South Carolina in. And like, why would you put them there? I just, that totally blew my mind when I realized what the scenario was there. Yeah. I'm not sure really what goes into that. I think just in general, if, you know, as they're seeding the teams out, I truthfully think they try to keep it, geographically friendly as possible well, they do for the top seeds that's always like th- that that's absolutely a consideration for like the top couple seeds but once but you if get you're, if you're looking into south carolina though and you say all right south carolina we're going to give them a seven seed and the other three seven seeds are dayton wichita and michigan right um, you might as well just to an extent you might as well just say all right give them the one that's closest to them in south carolina who cares michigan played in indianapolis Dayton played in Indianapolis and St. Mary's played in Utah. So they're all fairly, you know, fairly close to where, you know, where they're located. So that they just, I think they just broke it up the easiest way they could. And I honestly think, I I think you're probably going to have a hard time selling me that South Carolina really enjoyed any sort of home court advantage. Um, I don't know how Gamecocks basketball faithful are turning out and buying tickets to, you know, these tournaments that have, um, they had the likes of, uh, who else was there? North Carolina was there. Um, Duke was obviously there. These teams that are probably buying a lot more of those tickets than South Carolina fans. Oh, they showed multiple shots. There were multiple crowd shots last night. I don't know how closely you watched that game of North Carolina fans waving South Carolina flags and things like that. That's exactly what I was going to say. The biggest South Carolina fans were the ones that showed up to see the Tar Heels. That's right. So I I don't know that that's really that big of an advantage for a team like South Carolina who doesn't really have much of a basketball fan base to begin with. Yeah, it's just that that the way that all shook out was just kind of wild. But uh, part of the bigger picture, I thought just you'll never you'll never hear me. uh, You'll never hear me feel bad for Coach K, though. So no, no, not at all. um, (laughs) Just amazing is is all. But, uh, you know, really, it's it's part of the bigger picture, I think. For the ACC, and I, I think that is a, uh, a conference that gets a lot of love as probably being the best basketball conference. And you know, we're going into the Sweet 16 weekend. They, they went into the tournament with nine teams, and there's only one left. The, the, the Tar Heels are it. And they had their hands full with, was it, uh, Arkansas? And, Arkansas, yeah, they took Arkansas by seven. Yeah. And, um, but that was um, a closer game than it looked like. It really was. I, I watched a lot of that one, and – um yeah, I don't know what it necessarily says. I mean, I guess that you know, it's it's always kind of the unpredictable nature of of one and done with the tournament. But uh, you know, the flip side of that coin, I thought um, good showing for the Big Ten. I, I really uh, didn't expect much out of the Big Ten, and and you know, when you've got nobody in the conference getting anything better than a four seed to get three teams through to the Sweet Sixteen, especially like you know what you had said earlier with. Wisconsin knocking off the top seed in the tournament and, you know, uh, Michigan beating a two seed Louisville. I, I thought that was a really impressive showing. And, and even Northwestern, you know, they, they lost to Gonzaga, but ended up making that game pretty interesting. Got a little hosed in that game too. One of the worst, worst calls you'll ever see in your that life. Was, that was bad. Brutally bad. Like why that's not reviewable. We can spend 10 minutes to watch it, see, you know, if a guy got a two or three, but we can't reverse something so obvious and like took three seconds, like immediately on replay. They said, oh, yeah, that's that's what should have been called. And guy ends up getting a, a technical for it that I mean, I can't I can't blame him. I probably would have reacted the same way there. Um, there needs to be like a common sense clause in the replay rules. I right. Think. <laughs> right. For something like that. Like, why would you not be able to review a goaltend? You can review like a normal goaltend in the NBA. 
so why you wouldn't be able to do you know one that obvious i i i don't know i don't get it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me but that was sort of like the beginning and the end and then we saw this fucking little kid that (laughs) all over twitter for the next 48 hours like good lord talk about a (laughs) meme that outlived itself way too quickly does he officially replace the uh, the Piccolo girl from Villanova from a couple years ago? <laughs> I think he's got to. <laughs> it's uh, it, just that thing, everybody thought that was like the joke to make. I'm like, all right, it's a little kid crying at a game. Like, yeah, that got excessive. We can do better than this. Yeah, not not but, a good look. No, but yeah, no, I'm with you. It was kind of funny how. Um, <clears throat> the basketball and the football seasons for the big 10 kind of ran opposite courses. Um, the big 10, you know, started off, played pretty well in the, in the non-conference and kind of came through the regular season looking like it might be the best conference in, in college football and then struggled in the postseason. And now everyone's saying, Oh, you know, big 10 wasn't that great this year and basketball season's running the exact opposite course. It seems like now everybody's saying, you know, maybe the big Ten's better than we thought just because of like two games. It's kind of funny how that shit can change people's perception so quickly. I had not drawn that parallel, but that's a great point. I, I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Purdue also got through. Yes. about Purdue, sort of the unspoken one. And honestly, I think probably a, a sneaky good team. Like they're not just a fluky sweet 16 team. They were a four seed, but um, I, I could see them giving Kansas problems. Um they're a team that I think could probably not a great matchup against Kansas, but they're, they're, they're a legit team. They probably, they deserve to be there. It's not, you know, they didn't just win two fluky games. They're kind of a team that didn't get a whole lot of love in the big 10 regular season though, either. So sort of funny how that works out. They're just, they're that team that when they're good, nobody really still pays attention to them yeah. because it comes every few years and they're, you know, some nerd engineers and no one. <laughs> it's, it's and, real. And yeah, where is it? West Lafayette? Yes. That place is a hellhole. All right. The flip side of that. (laughs) (laughs) Worst worst road game I've ever been to. At the other end of the spectrum, though, is uh, Northwestern. And uh, I'm going to say this. You know what? Good good for Northwestern making the tournament for the first time. And I'm happy that all of the sports journalism nerds who went to the, the J school there finally got to enjoy their alma mater playing in March Madness and um, you know, congratulations on winning your first round game and having a respectable showing in the second round. But let, let's be clear from now on, you're a big 10 team and you're playing in the shadow of the third largest media market in the country. You're not the little guy. You're, you're not the little engine that could, you should be in this position or better every bleeping year. Right. Oh, I don't know. Come on, man. I, I don't know, man. If if you're No, I can't I can't get on board with that. Really? All right. G- give me the give me the ar- argument against. How is Northwestern A the there's five or six perennial powers in the Big 10 that you're never going to beat in recruiting just be just based on drawing kids there. Second, the kids that you want, even the ones that you'd have a chance at, half of them aren't going to be able to get into your school. And third, you're not even a basketball school. You're a football school first, and you're just an okay football school. It's not an athletic school. It's not going to happen. It's like, I mean, it's like saying Columbia should be great because they're in New York, and, you know, they're this they offer a great education and who wouldn't want to come get an Ivy league degree. It just doesn't work that way. Kids want to go to Michigan state and play for Izzo or Duke or Kentucky or Kansas or wherever. And I think they could, I think they could do better. I'm not saying they, I'm not saying they they would be a national title contender, but I think they should be a team that should not have taken 65 years or whatever it's been to, to make the NCAA tournament every year. They, I don't, I don't think it's a high bar to clear. If you're a big 10 team to say that fairly regularly, you should be able to get an eight seed and, and you know, the middle of the pack in a tournament. I, I, I'm with you in that. I don't think they're necessarily are going to be a top flight contender, but, um, 
Chicago is one of the best high school markets for, for, you know, high school basketball in the country. And maybe not all of those kids are going to want to go to Northwestern, but, um, and I, I understand like the academic bar there is high, but it's not impossible. And I, I just, I feel like you, you've got to, that that's a market that you got to be able to take care of. And those are kids in your, in your backyard. Yeah, I can, I can, I guess I can get on board with that. If you got kids who are, I mean, really, if you think about it, if there's, I don't even know how to put a number on it, but if you can pluck a couple kids out of Chicago that you can go to them, they're decent players, you know, good, you know, probably maybe more even like mid-level Big Ten, high-level Mac, like guys that would be, you know, the better players on Mac teams, but you can get them in Northwestern and you can go to them and say, hey, you'll be able to get close to home. Your parents can come watch you play. And, oh, yeah, Northwestern's a really fucking good school and you get to go there for free. Yeah, I could see you. All you got to do is draw a couple kids a year, turn them into four-year kids, and in theory, you should have that program home. And I guess I can see where you're coming from there. There you um, go. Yeah, the drought, absolutely, you're right. It should, uh, it should never have gone as long as it did. There's no excuse for that. Um, but I think what we saw from them this year is kind of where they should be every year. Right. That's, that's what I'm getting at. And okay. I, I probably right. sh- should have phrased that better w- when I went off the deep end initially, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, well, I agree with you. The fact that it seems like everybody at, at ESPN went to Northwestern, right. Um, <laughs> it was one of these stories that let's be honest, it's not really that great of a story. Um, you're really just bragging that your team usually sucked and now they're okay i can't remember what outlet had it but there was one over the weekend that had a story like talking with all of these reporters that went to northwestern and the whole premise of the story was like you know you you can't like cheer for your team when you're covering your team or or something along those lines and it's like Welcome to life for literally everybody that covers sports, college sports that didn't go to Northwestern. I mean, it. I, I just, it was really like, all right, come on, enough. Settled. Yeah, yeah, they but. beat the drum a little hard. I get, I guess I get it because if you are, but the thing is, didn't most of those kids, guys, like they went there for grad school in most cases. Like, yeah, don't I, you, I, I don't, don't you I don't know. University that you love more. It isn't that really like. I guess I could get sort of being a fan, but like if I went to grad school somewhere, I wouldn't switch to be like a passionate fan of that sports team all of a sudden. Right. I don't know about you, but it just, it wouldn't really work for me either. So it's like, yeah, they just beat the drum a little bit hard. Cool. It, it, to me, it sort of seemed just like, I just want to remind you that, Oh yeah, I went to Northwestern. Oh yeah. And I'm also on TV. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to beat the drum for um, a, a different cause. The, uh, the mid majors. This is um, I, I saw Tim Burke of uh, Deadspin, an OU alum by the way, um, noted last night. This is going to be the third straight year that no true mid majors have actually gotten through to the Sweet Sixteen, and a few people called him out like, "Hey, uh, Gonzaga, what, what Power Five conference are they in?" Among others, and what his point was in saying that was like Gonzaga's basketball budget would rank, I think, in the top half of like four different power five conferences. So they might not play in a major conference, but financially they're every bit a major conference team. And most of the other teams from the non power five conferences, you know, you got like your uh Xavier's and Butler. Butler and yeah, I mean I think are they both in the Big East now? Yeah, think, yeah. They're, they're sorry. So they've Big even, East barely qualifies as power. Big East is a good basketball now. conference. So that, that's a legit basketball conference. Still, I know it's not anything for football anymore, but, um, but you know, I mean, like a lot of the other teams that you would kind of consider, Dayton was really like the last true mid major to make the Sweet Sixteen, and that was twenty fourteen. And um, you know, as somebody who went to a mid major, it, it kind of sucks to see that. Um, and I don't really know what the solution is for that, and I. I think a lot of it comes down to just the way teams are seated in the tournament. I think that's kind of a big part of it. Um, On the rare chance that you do get, uh, and I don't even know off the top of my head if there's any good examples of this this year, but the the committee finds a way of of pairing off mid-majors against each other 
in a lot of instances in the earlier rounds to kind of pick those teams off early. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's kind of one of those misnomers, really, is where I'm going yeah, with this. Played, yeah, Dayton played Wichita in the, fir- in the yeah. first round, and I don't know how good Wichita actually was. They showed up pretty well. They almost took down Kentucky. Yeah, um, I mean, that's even one of those programs that's kind of outgrown the traditional mid-major label. Just, I mean, you look at, like, I mean, they were at a Final Four not too long ago, and, um, yeah, I, I just, the, uh, I just totally lost my train of thought there. But no, I, I don't, I don't. I don't think there, it's a problem that needs fixing, quite frankly. I don't – I think some of – it would take sort of the draw away if it was one of those givens that's going to happen all the time. Yeah, that's they're true. They're fun because they're kind of rare, and and it's not one of those teams like – like Gonzaga could theoretically do this every year. And yeah, by definition, they're probably a mid-major, but nobody really views them as one. Um, they're sort of like – to me, they're sort of like what um what Memphis was when they had Calipari. Some right. These teams that's that's they're they're playing against they're a good team. They'd be really they probably I don't know if they'd win like an ACC or a conference like that, but they'd be a one of better teams in that conference even. And they're playing trash all year. They have I mean they have a few good non conference games at the beginning of the year, but their conference isn't any good. Um, I think the thing that I was where I was going with this before. Um, it's just that I, I think, you know, the way the tournament's marketed, it's, a, you know, you love seeing these first round upsets and, and Cinderella stories. And yeah, maybe you're right that it's not great to have that every single year. It kind of loses the, the specialness of it or whatever. But, you know, when it really boils down to it is I, I don't think anybody in any of the networks that are paying to show these games is a fan of any of those teams after you get past the first two days. I mean, it's fun to have those. Upsets happen in the first round, but by the time you get to the Sweet 16 and beyond, they want the the show ponies, the big names, yep. the yep. Dukes, the the Villanovas that are both going to be out this weekend, and and you know the uh, North Carolinas and Kansas and UCLA and Kentucky and all those blue blood type programs, and um, you know I think it's just kind of a a, a way of life. Yeah, I think I mean I think those are fun in the first round, truthfully. After the first couple rounds, I don't really care who's winning. If it's not like I'm an Ohio State fan, if it's not Ohio State, I don't really care that much. There's a couple teams that I don't like, so I'll root against them, like Duke, for example, <laughs> who I'll pre- I'll prefer that they lose. But I'm not really rooting for anyone, and I don't really care that much. Like if Gon- say Gonzaga was one of these teams that's just having a magical season, and they weren't, you know, Gonzaga. I still don't know that I'd tune in and pull for Gonzaga that much. It'd be kind of cool because, you know, who are they playing? That They're playing West Virginia. The rest of their bracket's sort of boring. But when they play Arizona, you know, Arizona's a typical power. I, I don't even know that I'd really be pulling for them over Arizona when they play. It just yeah. doesn't – to me, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. I know some people get get really into that stuff. I don't really care after the first couple rounds. I just want to see entertaining games. The perfect opportunity for for that whole scenario was Butler, seven years ago, because oh yeah when yeah with Gordon Hayward exactly that was such a that was a really likable team that was before Butler kind of moved up uh, its weight class so to speak and yeah. they had the Final Four right in their backyard and they were playing Duke which is like the perfect evil empire villain mm-hmm. to be going up against in the final. And I know they got back the year after against UConn, and that was probably the worst championship game I can ever remember. Maybe in any sport. That was, can, we that stop was... the, can we stop and pause for a second? Sure. Butler made back-to-back championship games. Right. That's insanity. Exactly. Anyways, continue your thought. No, <laughs> I, just, I mean, yeah, so the, the, the UConn game, I mean, the sequel's never as good as the original, but that first year when they made the final for the first time and they went up against Duke, and that... I, that that missed shot that Gordon Hayward had from half court at the buzzer to end that championship game has to go down as one of the all time great, like what ifs, if it goes, I mean, that's the greatest finish ever. If he makes that right. Um, probably all the last seasons was fucking bonkers too. Yes, that's, that's true. Um, get people the opportunity to put a a crying, put a crying Jordan on Jordan, but, uh, yeah, that and the, the fact that like the guy hit that insane three four seconds earlier to tie it. That goes um, with Rajay Davis's uh, 
game tying home run in the World Series, right. like one Huge of the all time great moments that gets forgotten. Yep. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm. I mean, I think just for overall um, magnitude, a team like Butler beating a Duke in a championship game. Yeah, that's got to be would have been, you know, one of the one of the all time David beats Goliaths. Even if we look at it, it wasn't really that much of a mismatch because. I think Gordon Hayward's way better than anybody even thought then. Um, yeah, he's having He's a... proven he's a pretty damn good player. He's not just, you know, one of those long, tall, Euro white guys that plays at a small school and excels there. He's, he's a legit player, and he's showing it now. But, um, yeah, it's that's one of those ones where we'll, we'll, you watch that shot. And they still show it all the time. Like I, I feel, I feel like I saw it three or four times last week, where they just, it's, it's in the middle of a montage, and it's like, a shot didn't even go in, and they're making it out like a big deal. Like, it's, it's a, la- a last minute heave, but it would have been that big of a deal that even the miss gets, gets a little run. Yeah, you know, um, had LeBron not come back in 2014, I think Gordon Hayward would be a Cavalier right now interesting i'm pretty sure that was uh where they were going that's where they were angling yeah and there was actually an interview i listened to with with david griffin not too long ago the one actually i think it was it was the same one where he was talking about the nba jam arcade um he had said something to the effect of they basically had three players lined up ready to sign with them that they all had to like walk away from when the lebron thing surfaced and I definitely remember, I, I don't know who the other two would have been, but I definitely remember at the time there was talk that the Cavs were, were linked with Gordon Hayward. So, um, As a who max knows player? how much, what's that? Would, would he have been like a max player at that point? Um, for Is what, he a max player? I mean, that's a, I think that's kind of a relative term based on like where you're at and what contract you're no, on. No, I mean, is, is his contract a max contract or was uh, it when he got it? I don't know. Got to be close, right? I think so. I mean, he is. I think he's. I feel like he's one of those guys that you probably heard he's a max contract, and you're like, really? And now you're watching, and like, yeah, okay, I guess so. Right? Yeah. He he's not uh, struggling to put food on the table. That's for sure. None of them are. But uh, anyway, I mean, always always a great what if. But uh, hey, let's talk Cavs here for a few minutes. Um, Yeah, I made the joke at the beginning about uh, Ty Lue giving us uh, the week off last week, but you know he did make some waves by. <clears throat> excuse me, he, uh, you know, sat uh, Kyrie and LeBron and Kevin Love on Saturday night, the big uh, game against the Clippers. Um, not going to lie, I was a little bummed out by that. I totally get it, and I'm 100% in lockstep with why the Cavs did that, and I, I have no problems with it. But as a fan, that was one of those games I kind of circled and was really looking forward to watching. So, um not exactly as uh, enjoyable an experience when uh, we got what we did. Yeah. I'm, I feel like we keep making this into a, not we, but people in general keep talking about this, but it's get over it. Who cares? Yeah. We know they're going to do it when it was, um, when it was Popovich and the Spurs doing it a few years ago, it was, Oh, Popovich, he's a genius. He knows what he's doing. This is such a great idea. Blah, blah, blah. And when the Warriors did it this year, no one really batted an eye at it. But when LeBron does it, it's it's all of a sudden he's the heel. And and I, I don't I don't I'm not going to feel bad for LeBron. Obviously, he can handle the criticism. He's taken plenty over the years. But um, it just sort of seems like it's weird that we're taking a lot of heat for it. But nobody else really seems to be. Yeah, and especially maybe considering just, like the Warriors. Local, but. The Warriors did the exact same thing the week before. The, the the Saturday night game at San Antonio, they sat all of their guys there. I believe yeah. the Spurs did as well for that. Well, game. yeah, but the Spurs, th- but those guys were, were they, 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 those were injuries. Like um, Aldridge had the the heart arrhythmia, and Leonard's got a concussion. And Kawhi had the concussion, so um, that that was kind of a different story with them. But yeah, that that game got completely wrecked, but. You know, I mean, yeah, I think anybody who's followed the league long enough knows this isn't a Cavs thing. It's an, it's an NBA thing. And um, I, I will tell you, how much of that game did you actually end up watching on Saturday? 
Um, very little. All right. I I, flipped, like, I, I missed most of the first half. I flipped it over. It was like a 20-point game. I watched for five minutes, probably, and went to bed. I watched um, way more of that game than I <laughs> probably should have. And Sit there wondering, why am I still watching this? Pretty much. But I, I'll tell you what. I, here's what frustrated me about that more than anything. I understand why they did what they did, but... ESPN and ABC, I mean, it's an ESPN production, even though the game is shown on ABC, whatever. They blew that. That 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 was, I understand why they're pissed off. I mean, they're paying a boatload of money, and they're, they're, the league is their partner, and they feel like they've gotten screwed over on the games that they're showing two weeks in a row, and they don't want to throw the league under the bus, so they're going to air their frustrations by the by taking it out on the cabs but i mean this is the network that's basically invented the whole embrace debate model as much as i hate that term i mean they've made an industry out of it with first take and all of their other shows now that they have along those lines and they there was a real discussion to be had there and instead they, they had basically three guys in their booth all taking the same side of it for two and a half hours and it's just i i I understand like why they were frustrated, but it just, that was a huge blown opportunity. I felt like to really look at the root cause and, and what could actually be done. Yeah. I, Van Gundy was going nuts on it. And I think he was, was, and, was and then like overkill and, and Mark Jackson was too. And Mike Breen was kind of just, you know, quietly nodding in agreement him go. and, right. and, and yeah, I mean, just kind of rolling with it. And, you know, I just, the thing was, and, and, you know, then they get like Sage Steele, the halftime host, like got a text message from Carl Malone uh, talking about, you know, well, back in my day and blah, blah, blah. And you know, Charles Barkley comes out you know, the day after, and I know he's TNT, but, you know, he's again, back in my day and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, here's the thing. There's just, there's way too much data that is available now and, and way too much research that's been put into this that shows there's a real injury risk when guys are playing back to backs and there's a real increase in, in the likelihood that guys are going to get hurt. And the the Cavs have had no problem with, um, you know, finding ways for guys to get hurt this year as it is. So, I mean, if you're going to like make that, that much more of a, of a risk, I mean, you can't ignore that. I mean, if you're going to say otherwise at this point, I mean, that's basically like saying smoking isn't bad for your health or that climate change isn't real. I mean, it's like, come on, this is a real thing. And, you know, you can look back. Okay. So Charles Barkley, you know, would, would play all those games. I mean, you know, Larry Bird plays all those games. You know, maybe it's not a coincidence that Larry Bird only played for 10 years and destroyed his yeah. back and had his career cut short. You know, I mean, there's a reason that LeBron James is in his 12th year and still looks as good as he did five or six years ago, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If he can give up, if instead of playing 82 games, he plays 76 games during the regular season and is able to extend his career by a year or two, um, that's a no-brainer in my opinion. Um, cause, and let's look at it both ways. Because if he's taking shit now for sitting out during the regular season and everyone's saying, oh, you know, no one would have done this back when I played. Well, Carl Malone and... Charles Barkley have a combined how many rings? If you're still counting, the answer is zero. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, they say, oh, you know, we would do it back then. Well, if he say LeBron played 82 games and then went all out and ran out of gas in, in the playoffs, he'd be taking shit for that. Like, you can't win in this situation. No. The only way you can possibly win is if he plays an entire season, never sits out, and is still 100% at the end of the playoffs and they win like it no one's gonna care in three months if he looks like he looked last finals no one's gonna give a shit that he skipped the game at the end of march and don't forget i mean we're singling out lebron here a little bit but i mean i think it bears mentioning if you look at you know this is what he's he's been in the finals what seven times yeah so that's all those long postseason runs those add up three trips to the olympics at a certain point, I think he's basically played the equivalent of like how many extra seasons in, in the most high pressure games you could play on top of what his actual, you know, career stats show on his player bio or whatever. Right. And um, 
yeah, it's it's just I, the one thing I will say is, and I think it was Craig Lindell of uh, WFNY that made this point over the weekend that um, who really gets screwed here is the people that buy the tickets just in that, you know, most teams have kind of embraced this idea of dynamic ticket pricing. I mean, you learned the hard way with that, with opening day with the Indians last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the same deal. I mean, those tickets are sold when the Cavs are coming to town at a higher price based on the idea that those players are going to be in the game. You're not paying a higher price with all due respect to Darren Williams and Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson. You're not paying a higher price to see those guys. You're, you're paying the premium on those tickets to get the stars. And, you know, I think it's just going to have to kind of become one of those things of, of buyer beware, or, you know, maybe it's time to revisit whether dynamic pricing on a regular season game in the NBA is fair. If this is going to be a way of life. Yeah. And at the same time, if, if you're a fan in LA pissed because you didn't have a chance to see LeBron uh, this past weekend, how many times has LeBron played in LA over his career. You've had Quite plenty a of chance to see him play. You got two damn teams there, by the way. Um, you've had plenty of opportunity to see him play. So yeah, it, it sucks. Like I get it. If you got a seven year old kid who wants to see LeBron and you got these tickets and this, that, and the other thing. Okay. I get it. It's a bummer, but at the end of the day, if truthfully, at the end of the day, if you're buying, um, if you're spending good money on basketball tickets to see one guy play at the end of March, a guy you know is known to sit out a game here and there, you're kind of a sucker and you kind of, you should know that that's a possibility. And make no mistake about it. I think the Cavs between now and the end of the regular season have four more back-to-backs and they're scheduled after the game in Denver on Wednesday night. It's basically three games and four nights at various stretches can just on and on and on from now through the end of the year. So there are a lot of games compressed into a very short window. This is going to happen again. They're they're going to have guys resting again. Yeah. I've got tickets to a game. I think it's on the 31st. I don't remember which one it's or no, it's this Saturday. I'm not sure who they play on Saturday. I got tickets for the game Saturday though. And I know there's a chance that they sit out and that's, that's comes with territory. Um, the funny, the thing that's just weird to me is the argument that like, you know, we were tougher back then. Were you tougher or were you just stupid? Right. (laughs) Like, do, are we really questioning LeBron's toughness? Do we think he couldn't play if he wanted to? No, he absolutely could have, but he's smart enough and aware enough to know this could help me a little bit down the road. So what, what's the point? And like, the fact that it's like, you know, they always use that term wussification or whatever it is. No, it's just called not being an idiot. Like, yeah, that's what I was saying before. And in, in, in a much more long winded way is just, we've got too much information showing what doing that and what putting yourself through that does to you and, and the effects it has on you. And, um, if you're ignoring that willfully at this point, you're you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, Larry Bird, those guys, they there's there's careers were all cut short, and like Carl Malone, I know he played for a long time and piled up numbers, but he was known for pretty much running out of gas at the end of the season every year. Maybe you should have taken it a little easier, Carl. Sorry. Flip side of that is I don't, he could have rested all he wanted. I don't think he was beating Michael Jordan in 97 or 98. Yeah, that's probably bad. I can't (laughs) argue with that, but he had those two years in the mid nineties when the Rockets won, when Michael was playing baseball. But yeah, either way, I just, are we really going to question the toughness of LeBron? I, I, that just seems like a fool's errand. He's, he's top three, four player of all time and takes a beating like i i would i would argue that he probably takes as much contact and in in, during a game his body takes as much physicality as any of those guys did back then it's not as it's not as blatant in the in the form of like you know 
the elbows and and the more violent motions, but with how much he handles the ball and how much he goes to the basket and how much he gets hit, it's not like he's a, he's a finesse player who's not taking any contact when he's playing either. No, and guys are just bigger and stronger and, and you know, take up more space on the floor. I mean, just look at the average size of the players now versus 25 years ago or whatever. I, I mean, or yeah, LeBron would have been, LeBron would have been a center. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think we're on the same page with, with the whole rest thing. Yeah. We um, kind of went off on a tangent there, but no, I, anything else Cavs wise. I mean, I, I feel like last night we kind of got a reminder. I, I know there was a lot of frustration. I don't know if you stayed up for that whole game and yeah, there was some hand wringing through the first three quarters of like, you know, what the hell's going on? How are you, you know, you rested your guys and now you're going to play against the Lakers. And are you really going to piss this game away? And I think we kind of saw a little taste of, you know, if the Cavs want to, when they do want to flip the switch, they they have that um, in their arsenal. And even still, they were, I mean, they were depleted last night. I mean, you had no Derek Williams, no Kyle Korver, and no Tristan Thompson down the stretch. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun to watch one of those. Uh, it was one of those games for Kyrie that happened every once in a while where he just, everything's doing what he wants it to do. 46 um, points on 21 shots is absolutely obscene. It's pretty efficient, right? Yeah. <laughs> pretty efficient. There was a couple where it's just like, and I, I, this is probably like the understatement of the day, but the way just every game, I feel like there's at least two or three where he gets really close to the basket. And I still am like, how the hell did he make that go in the basket? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and we've been saying that obviously for a few years now. So that's sort of capped an obvious thing, but it, every game it's, it's sort of like, I still, still it never gets old. It still surprises me. It does. It never gets old. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's still going to be, I mean, I know we talked about this the last time, but it, it's going to be interesting if they can ever actually get the whole team together and, and get a real rotation and, and, it just it feels like it's never ending in terms of like one guy after another getting dinged up. But um, I love what we've been seeing out of your boy Shump lately, though. <laughs> it's not my guy. <laughs> oh, he's your guy. Come on, he's your guy. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, yeah, I'm 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 gonna leave that one alone. But, all uh, right, all right, all right. Any uh. Any anything else on your mind? It's been a couple of weeks since we've chatted. Not really. Um, I don't know. What about you? Anything else you want to touch on? I can't really think of anything. It's been it's been kind of boring, honestly, lately. Even with March Madness, not having a team in in the tournament really changes the way you watch it. I'll say that. That's true. I I, I will definitely agree with that. And. Um... Yeah, I, I don't have a, a a real horse to to back, and um, I don't know. I think I'm I'm probably good, but uh, I know we got some good stuff coming up here pretty soon. We got baseball around the corner, and then uh, NBA playoffs, and I think we're going to be doing some really fun stuff with that. I, I know you and I have been kind of kicking around some ideas, so um, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, should have some good stuff coming up. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, so, all right, uh, let's shut it down then. Uh, Everybody uh, go like uh, our Facebook page. I actually, just before we started recording tonight, I went and uh, shared a link from the Cavs. Uh, LeBron did something really cool recently uh, with uh, with Nike and the team. Um, they came out with a new version of uh, his signature shoes that um, a little bit easier uh, for kids with disabilities to be able to put on. It's a really nice thing. Uh, I think they call them the, the Fly Ease line. And uh, I think this is something he's done in years past, but uh, I know that. Yeah. I know they did a story on it last year, but like seeing it in action. Yeah. I'm generally, I'm kind of a cynical asshole, but um, the the video of him, like giving these shoes to these kids. So, you know, have probably over, you know, the several, several years they've been alive as they're fairly young, but um, have probably struggled to put on shoes one of those little things you just uh, don't think times, about. Yeah, that you don't the the normal person sort of takes for granted and seeing these kids that not only do they get shoes they can put on, but you know, they're LeBrons, they're really cool shoes. They're not just like ugly Velcro shoes. So it was pretty cool. Um one of those things that 
you know, no matter what you say about LeBron, you got to give him some credit there. Yeah, he um, you know, he talks a lot about things bigger than basketball, and yeah, he walks the walk with that. He backs so. it up. He backs it up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you can check that out if you're not um, if you didn't see it on the Cavs Facebook page, you can check it out on our Facebook page, uh, Facebook dot com slash the nail podcast of course uh you know with all the good stuff coming up that we got planned for the show good time if you haven't already go subscribe to the uh to the pod on itunes or uh, stitcher or google play music or whatever podcast listening app you might have on your phone and uh, if you want to go catch some of our old episodes that you might have missed in the past you can go listen to all of those on uh, the nail podcast.com that's our website so uh, I think that'll do it. Uh, good to be back at it, man. And uh, let's not uh, let's not go two weeks before we uh, do it again. What do you say? Yeah, we'll get back into it. I think some stuff coming up that's going to uh, going to drive it a little more. It's just been a slow last couple of weeks. I think not a whole lot to really go over, but uh, I anticipate we'll probably be hitting the ground running here again pretty soon. Sounds like a plan. All right. So for Travis Shealy, it's Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.